Now, as we saw in chapter 5, the Lord tells Moses that he's going to go in, he's going to send him in to Pharaoh. So now it begins. I want to just show you something in chapter 6, verse 3, then we'll go back to verse 1. Uh, but it says something here. He says, I, speaking of the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Now that God is El in the Hebrew, and Almighty is Shaddai. Now I'm sure you've heard that. And El Shaddai uh, has some meanings. One is the all, the all bountiful one, the all plentiful one, the all giving one. That's uh, El Shaddai. Now, he goes on here, he says that I, I came to them and appeared to them in this way, El Shaddai, but by my name. So I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And the word Lord here in some translations, you'll see it translated Jehovah. Now, if you go through Genesis, you'll see the word Jehovah uh, used, but he didn't reveal himself as such. This is the first usage of the word in Exodus, and he's saying, the Lord is saying, I'm going to reveal myself to Moses as Jehovah. Jehovah, or in the Hebrew, is Yahweh. It's the same, same thing. Uh, that's the rabbitic, in rabbinical writings, it refers to this name as, they referred to it as the name, the great and terrible name, the peculiar name, the separate name, the name of four letters. You probably have seen that, where they are kind of like abbreviated. They won't pronounce the word but they will put four letters there, and of course that's the name here. He's appearing to Moses in a specific way. And the actual word Yahweh or Jehovah, it means self-existent, eternal. I like this, it said the existing one. And that actually moves right along with what, what he says, what God says to Moses um, when he goes into Pharaoh. Tell him that I am has sent thee, the existing one. And in actuality, when I went into uh, one of my other books that breaks down the names, the parts of the parts of the of the word and everything, and it said that, and I thought this was really interesting because it and it actually fits in with what is being said here, that Jehovah is the personal name of God. So for you and I, we know the Lord in a personal way. Before we didn't, you know, we may have been involved with church, with a, with a religion or a denomination, and went along with certain traditions and certain things that the, uh, the religious church that we were involved with would say. But we didn't know him as the personal God until... You know, we had an experience, a closeness, an encounter with him. And remember, Mo Moses had an encounter with God. Now he's revealing himself in, in a specific way. And I think that's really nice because, you know, even though we know the Lord, and, you know, there are a lot of younger people that grew up in the church, 
and knew the Lord from a younger age. But see, that's not the end of the matter. The Lord can come at any time and reveal himself in a personal way. And that, I believe, is necessary for each individual somewhere along their walk, where the Lord will come in a specific way and he'll reveal himself. It can be something very simple to the person. It may not be you know, something religious. You may, it may not be in church at all. But he comes in the way he comes, and he knows how to get our attention, and, and he knows what to do or what to say to illuminate our, our heart to him on this personal level. And that is something that is missing in religion. That's why Christianity, true Christianity, is not a religion. Now, men have made Christianity a religion, but it's not a religion. Because religion, in its basic form, is man's way of reaching out to God. But true Christianity is God's way of reaching down to man through Jesus Christ in a personal way. And I thought that was, was very, very good. The personal name of God. I like that. I am Jehovah. I change not. Now let's back up to verse 1. So he tells Moses and Aaron to go in. And they go in. And Moses says what the Lord tells him to say. And Pharaoh doesn't listen to him. No, he's going to do his own thing. So verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let you go, and with a strong hand he will deliver them out of his, out of his land. So the word now here has no time frame attached to it. Now if you say that word in the English, now, that attaches a time element now, right now. But he tells him now, but yet he doesn't do it right then and there. God could have immediately brought the 10th plague, the first one, to Pharaoh and to Egypt and you know, caused this thing to happen right then and there, but he doesn't. He doesn't. His ways are not our ways. His thinking is not our thinking. And sometimes we'll be able to see what the Lord is doing, other times we will not. But yet he's God, he does what he does. And so he uses the word, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now the word, when I looked that up, it's an expletive, but not in the way the word is used today. An expletive today would be like a curse word. But it's just a word of strong expression, like an, an exclamatory word, where it's spoken and it's to get your attention. And so he says, now you will see. And the seeing here is not going to be an immediate thing. This seeing is going to take place over a certain course of time, from the first plague to the tenth plague. He's going to see. He's going to see the unfolding of God at work, the unfolding of this personal one through his mercy and through his judgment 
of Pharaoh in Egypt. And I think many times that's missed. You know, we don't see that God is still giving Pharaoh time. He's giving the people time. Uh, he's not, so to speak, calling down fire at this particular time. He's giving, the, giving him a season. And although we looked at, last time at this whole thought of God hardening his heart. Uh, and, and of course, the Lord, by doing what he's doing, having Moses speak, directing Moses, that very act is what hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Just like people today, when they hear the gospel, some people hear it. The more they hear it, the less they want to hear it. The more they want to get away from it, they harden their heart to it. So it's basically the same thing. So he's going to do a progressive work on Pharaoh. Now, normally, a progressive work of God would work from one point, like in our life, a progressive work bringing us on to a, a bigger and better thing. That's because the Christian who has a, an open heart will automatically progress in certain ways and into the kingdom and so on. But this is a progressive work, but in the other way, we could say digressive, because of the heart of Pharaoh, because of the hardness of his heart. Verse 2, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And then, he, then we looked at verse 3. Verse 4, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, speaking of the children of Israel, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. So the Lord's not forgetting them. On the contrary, the Lord has seen their afflictions, and the Lord is going to come and intervene, but he's going to do it on his terms and, and on his time schedule and in his way. Verse 5, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians Keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. And what covenant's that? What covenant does he remember? Tell me a covenant he's remembered. What covenant is he talking about? Yes, the one with Abraham. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And, and this is what I want to just stop and, and show you a progression here in the scriptures. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Now, one of the things you will see in verse 6 and in verse 7 is the phrase in English, I will. And man says, I will, I will do this, I will do that, I will go here, I will go there, I will not do this, I will not do that. And many times, you know, that is said in rebellion, or in contrast to what God would say. And I like this because it shows you that God is in control. God has order. He set order in the universe, and he, there's an order with him. And if we get close to him, the best way for our lives to find order is closeness with the Lord, because he is orderly. And so he says here three times alone in verse 6, I will. 
But I want to draw your attention to this. Even though Pharaoh and the power of Egypt has them in bondage, nevertheless, the Lord says in verse 6, that I will bring you out. So it doesn't matter what the circumstance may be. God will bring them out. That's the first thing. Verse 7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into a land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now, let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six. He uses this phrase seven seven times. I will. I will. So in verse 6, he says, I will take you out. In verse 8, he says, I will bring you out. In or I will bring you unto a land, or bring you unto the land, or I will, and then he says, I will give you an inheritance. So the inheritance here, if you actually look at it from a natural standpoint, the inheritance relates to the physical realm where he's taking them from bondage and he wants to bring them into the land. The land of Cana, that, that's, a, that's a physical thing. But there is to be a spiritual projection of this very thing on a personal basis where he takes one out and then he brings them in. He takes you and I out of the world. Remember, Egypt is a type of the world. And then he brings us into a land flowing with milk, of hon- milk and honey. He brings us into a land of blessing. He brings us into a land where now you are completely in a different place than you were not too long ago. So even though we see this in the physical, and you, you see this in the book of Joshua where he takes them, he, you know, he brings the second generation up, and now they're going to go in and conquer the land. There is a spiritual projection that is to be a reality in the heart and life of the individual Christian. So that the Lord has brought us out of the world. He brings us out of various things. But he just doesn't bring us out. He wants to take us in. And with the children of Israel here that we're going to see in Exodus, he brought them out, but he could not bring them in. They ended up for 40 years in the wilderness, round and around and around, but never was able to fulfill or be brought into the fulfillment of the promise that we're seeing here. The Lord says this is what he wants to do. So we look at the children of Israel, and it's very clear to us that we know that they came out of bondage, they came out of Egypt, they came out of the world, but they did not make it into the promised land, the blessing and the area that the Lord wanted them to make it in. And 
the very same thing can happen to any Christian. It doesn't matter if you're in a denomination, it doesn't matter what church you're in. Every single person that is called upon the name of the Lord has been brought out. But now, the question is, will they be able to be brought into the place the Lord wants? And as I said, when we are saved, when we are first brought in, there is to be this spiritual projection out from the life, from the person, in order for the Lord to take them into a, a land of promise. And if you'll remember the teaching in Joshua, that Joshua encountered Jericho. He encountered Ai. He encountered various cities and various kings. And each one of them, he had to, to wait on the Lord, or he had to hear from the Lord how it is that we will be able to defeat those in the land of Jericho, in, in the walled city. How can we defeat that mighty, mighty city? And the Lord showed him what to do. And eventually with Ai, the same thing. And it says in Joshua that they subdued 31 kings. That means there was 31 areas that they went and they were able to beat back and actually conquer those areas, those cities, those kings. And the kings are representative of strongholds in the heart and the life of an individual. So in order to, to beat or conquer or be victorious over these kings, there must be a projection out from the heart toward the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I want to be brought in. And if the Christian wants to be brought in, the Lord will work with them. And the work is not a, a quick thing where in five years you, you conquer this land. No, there's a lot of things within the individual, all of us. You know, weaknesses, all faults, everything, fears that we must face. But we must face them in the Lord. Because he's the one that will bring the victory for us, and he will take us into the land. He will take us further in. Now, we're talking initially about a physical land, but now I've related that to the land of our heart, of our life, the things there that will hinder us, the, the kings, the strongholds that will want to, to limit us and keep us down. You can't overcome me because I'm strong. These walls are 10 feet thick, Jericho. You can't overcome. It's impossible. It doesn't matter if you had the biggest battering ram. You can't defeat me. And that's right. But in the Lord, in trusting in the Lord, all the strongholds, one at a time, will fall, just like the 31 kings did. So he says here in these verses, I will, I will, I will do it. I will do it. So that means that we must somehow trust the Lord in our life. Whatever that may mean for you personally and for me personally, there will always be something that arises. And that's just the way it is. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, there's always something that comes. You can see people in the world, they deal with all kinds of things. 
But we have an advantage because we have the Lord, we have the Spirit of God, and when those things come up, we can say, okay, Lord, you know, what is it now? What, 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 what's the plan? <laughs> and you wait for the Lord, and he brings the plan. And uh, you all know this, you know, we go to the jail frequently, you know, several times a month. And uh, the Lord has placed that on my shoulders, and I sit there sometimes, and I say, hey, Lord, you know, wait, I'm waiting on him to show me the direction, because I don't know the way, I don't know the direction. And every time you go, almost every time, you're dealing with a different group of people. And so just this Sunday, I got up and I spoke for a while, and then we sang some songs, and I turned, I turned it over to one of the other men, and he spoke for a while. And uh, he, he spoke for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And one thing he said, the Spirit of the Lord brought to my attention. And then he sat down, and I had one of the other men get up and speak. And one thing they said, the Lord brought to my attention. And then I, I get up at the end, and I take, take the service, and then I have to deal with the individual hearts of the people. The Lord preps them, if you know what I'm saying. He preps them and gets them ready through the word. And then hopefully there, there's a response now. So now I, I'm responsible to hear. But I, I don't, when I go, I don't know, you know what to expect, you know, what's going on. The Lord gives me sometimes a few scriptures or a portion of scripture, scripture to read. And then it's just like, here you are, and it's like a stronghold. The strongholds in these people's lives, they're, they're in, incarcerated. They have all these things they're dealing with, mainly in their own heart. And so in order to bring them in where, where the Lord wants them, it is going to take the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit. I can't do it. These men can't do it. It has to be the Spirit of God, and we have to be able to hear or to follow and to see what the Lord wants to do. And it's, so, it's such a blessing. I, I thank the Lord all the time. I thank the Lord for all kinds of stuff. I, every, you may think this is funny, but every night when I take a shower, I get in the shower and I thank the Lord. I did it tonight. I was just thanking the Lord and, and thinking of being on the mission field and how many people in the world never take a shower. They don't know what a shower is. They don't have hot water either. Barrel water, you take a, a, um, a bowl, and you dip it in the bowl, and you dump in that cold water on you, and that's how they get clean, hot in the open most of the time. So I thank the Lord when I get under that hot water. Thank you, Lord. And I mean it because I know. I know. And so I, I see what the Lord wants to do, and I'm so thankful that he opens my ears and my eyes to see. Because sometimes I'll sit there for 15, 20 minutes, you know, just waiting for something to unfold, to get a direction, challenge these men to be dedicated. Uh, or what is going on? Is there unforgiveness in their heart? Um, or whatever, whatever it may be. And then having an altar call. So, you know, all this relates. See, see, it all relates. You know, am I going to depend? Are you going to depend on the Lord knowing that if we can somehow 
just you know, rest in Him. And it's not easy sometimes. You know, you want to. Or, what are we doing here, you know? And sometimes he shows me ahead of time, which I like. But when he doesn't show me ahead of time, because we're up there so often that it doesn't always happen, so I have to, to wait and see. And if nobody has anything, then all that responsibility falls on me. I have to get up again. So it's just all these things going on. And, and it's good. It's a very good thing. But um, he wants to take us out, all Christians. And he wants to bring us in to a different place, a place of blessing, the land of Cana, flowing with milk and honey to sustain you, to heal you. Now, honey, I believe, is an antiseptic to heal you. So he says that in verse 8, verse 9. So Moses spoke thus what the Lord has just said. To Moses, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Anguish, the word in the Strong's means shortness of spirit or impatient, to be impatient. Cruel bondage, we know what that means, severe labor, severe work. So even though the Lord says what he says, I'm going to take you out and bring you in. The people could not get past their circumstance. So that tells me something. That in order for there to be a fulfillment of God's God's promises, certain things, like he's saying here, take us out, take us in, bring us out, take us in. In order for there to be a fulfillment there, the eyes have to be turned away from the circumstance. They could not hear what Moses was saying. I mean, they heard the words, but they could not hear in their, in their inner man. And because they could not hear, there was no faith. And the reason they could not hear and there was no faith is because they focused on their circumstance. You see that? So the circumstance is really... No, 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 no let me take it back. It wasn't the circumstance. Their focusing upon the circumstance is what keeps them from the blessing that God had for them. So keep that in mind. I mean, you're in a circumstance, you can't help but to see the circumstance. I mean, that's, that's normal, and God has no problem with you seeing the circumstance because you're in it. You should see it. But the key is, will we focus upon it be fixed upon it, or will we allow the Spirit of God to take our gaze from that to the Lord? That's the key. It's not wrong to see your circumstance. It's not wrong to look at your circumstance. It's not wrong to even think about your circumstance. But there has to come a time or a point where we are lifted from it and we see the Lord bigger than the circumstance. If we cannot do that, and that goes for any Christian, if they cannot do that and they are fixated upon their circumstance, then the blessing of God, where he wants to take them, what he wants to do through the circumstance may be, may be lost for them. You know, it may be lost. It depends. I mean, they, they may be, you know, or may shake them and say, okay, now, now get your eyes off that. Get, get them on me. 
So, okay. So the, the Lord here takes the initial step to bring about a relationship. Okay, verse 7, I will take, I will take you to me, he says. So he, he, he takes the initial step. But there must be a response in order for the, the relationship to be realized. And that is biblical from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible. You can see it very clearly in John 3.16, which we know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So he takes the initial step, you see, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he takes the initial step, but there must be a response in order to move toward the blessing. And so those who have not responded to, for God so loved the world, cannot move into the fulfillment of the second half of the verse. So this is everywhere in the scripture. And in particular, dealing with uh, relationship, the Lord always takes the first step. Even when we think we're taking the first step, we're not really taking the first step. Our first step is really the response. He has already taken the first step in some way. So the people here cannot move past where they are because of, it says, anguish and cruel bondage, or because of their fixation there, looking upon their circumstance instead of looking upon the Lord or hearing, really hearing the word and letting the word produce faith. Verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, he's going to do this in spite of their fixation upon their circumstance. And, you know, as you go on in Exodus, you can see in certain spots where they're able to, for a small amount of time, to kind of get this and go along with the program, so to speak, but it never really takes with them. You know, even when he takes them out, they take them out and they spoil the Egyptians. They take their, their animals, they take their food, they take their gold. They take all kind of stuff. The Lord tells them to, and they go out. You would think that they would have heard something here that would produce faith. But we know it says in Hebrews, the reason why they never entered into the promised land was, why? Unbelief. That's why. So unbelief will keep a Christian from the blessing of God. Unbelief. Okay, now let's go to chapter 7. Any questions to that point? Chapter 7, I want to read this from the New King James, and uh, the NIV is pretty similar. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. That's the NIV. Well, why is that? Because Moses is in, in a position to declare God's will and purpose here. Pharaoh never 
never entered his mind that the children of Israel were going to be delivered from Egypt. It never entered his mind that God was going to bring, of all people, of all people to bring to Pharaoh is the one that, that was actually grown, grow, grew up in Pharaoh's house. Well, what's going on here? You would think that the last person the Lord would send would be Moses. That's not God's ways. God does things much differently than we think. <coughs> Pharaoh never, 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 ever thought that Moses was going to come in and pronounce what this God that Pharaoh has no idea who he, who he is. He's going to pronounce certain things, certain judgments. And now it's going to set in motion a completely different course something that has never been experienced in the world before, never experienced in Egypt before, and never experienced anything like that to that magnitude since. So he's going to come in and speak. Moses is going to be the oracle of God. An oracle is a mouthpiece speaking on behalf of someone else. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. Now, the word oracle in Greek means utterance, an, utter, an, an utterance, to speak. A person who delivers authoritative pronouncements, proclamations or whatever. That's what Moses is going to do. Moses is not going to go in and just have a, a chat. He's not going to go in and say, well, what do you think of the weather today? Oh, isn't the Nile nice and calm? That's a nice sandy beach there. None of that. He's going to go in, say what he says. And I don't necessarily think that, I mean, we, we get religious with things. We do. And I've seen this on the mission field in particular, and it, it comes from this country where... If the minister is yelling and screaming and pushing his hands out and running back and forth, that's the Spirit of God. And that's not necessarily the Spirit of God. And that will be received as the Spirit of God. And it may not necessarily be the Spirit of God. Now, I don't think that Jesus did that. Jesus spoke. Now, I believe that the Spirit of God was able to project his voice like you see with many of the prophets. And when Moses went in, he didn't go in like, you know, we hear, thus saith the Lord, you've got to let him go. He didn't do that. He's going to go in and, I believe, speak, and he's going to project his voice so that Pharaoh can hear. But what makes the difference is that the Lord says, you, I am going to go to deliver the people. And then he tells Moses, okay, you go. So in effect, when Moses goes, the Lord is going to be there with him. And he's going to be in the words. Now, one of the things you see with Pharaoh is how hard a person's heart can be and how dull of hearing a person's ears can be. Because he hears this word that is brought forth by God himself through Moses. 
or Aaron. And yet, he's able to resist that for quite a long time. His pride, his arrogance, you know, resisting what is coming forth. So in chapter 4, I'll read this from the NIV. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is what the Lord says to Moses. You shall speak to him. The him is Aaron. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were, you were God to him, meaning to Pharaoh. You're going to be God to him, Moses, when Aaron speaks. Quite an odd setup because Moses... And we, we looked at that. Moses didn't want didn't to speak. But nevertheless, God's word is not going to return to him void. It's going to accomplish therewith he sends it. And even though it looks as though that it's coming back void because Pharaoh doesn't let them go immediately, that still does not mean that God's word is void. It means that the Lord is patient, the Lord is merciful, and the Lord will pronounce judgment. And if that judgment is not heeded, he'll bring a judgment that is a little more severe. And if that's not heeded, he'll bring another one that's a little more severe. And you see a progression in these until he gets to the tenth. And when the tenth came, there was no strength left in Pharaoh or in the Egyptians at that particular time. Now they gain strength again once the Israelites leave. But at that time, God brought just what was needed at that time to cause the, um, the bondage there to be broken. So the Lord knows what he's doing. He, he, you know, when you see how he works, it's like, wow. I mean, how, how could you do some of these things? And you know, we read the Bible and we see some of these things that happen. You know, and we see Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the stories. And we, we say, wow, wouldn't that be great to have faith like that? Well, you know, to have faith like that, you've got to be thrown into something, too. <laughs> it means you've got to go through some things. The Lord can produce faith in a Christian in their circumstance. Remember, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God or hearing the word of God. So that's how faith is going to be produced. So when we're in a, in a situation or a circumstance, okay, so there I am I'm in the circumstance. And the circumstance may not be anything that you need faith for at this time. But just wait. Eventually you get into a circumstance and you're helpless in it. You, you can't do anything. You just, there's no way to get out of it, there's no, seems to be no end to it, and all these things, you know, you want to take matters into your own hands, all these things will come to you. Now, you have to be able to wait and hear, because the faith to deal with, to stay in, and to come out of a circumstance, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So eventually, 
the Lord will somehow communicate to us in a circumstance, somehow, some way, and will show us maybe what he's doing in it, showing us what he wants to do in it, and showing us what we need to do in it. And once all those things are done in it, then there's a change most of the time. But faith must be there. And that comes by the Word of God. And I, I, I mean, I teach these things, and when you go through them, it's not like spiritual. Like, you know, in your church, everything like, seems to be, you know what I mean, like up here. When you're at home or you're in a circumstance, now you're not in this environment, you're not in the classroom environment, and now it's different because now you're there and you're in the circumstance. And now you have to, you know, wait for the Lord to do some things, orchestrate, whatever he's doing, or, or just stay in them. It's just, he brings us into things and takes us out of them. But even, see, to receive the blessing of God for us, it will mean we are to respond to the Lord. That's, that's simple. If the children of Israel would have responded to what Moses said, I mean, wholeheartedly in the beginning here. Things may have been quite different once they got into the wilderness. And because they didn't respond and they, they locked in on their circumstances, they, they, they started to move in, in a certain pattern that you see in the wilderness and so on. You know, we talk about all these, uh, I don't want to say just the ways of God, but spiritual aspects of things. And it's good because... It helps us. I mean, if I wouldn't have heard and learned certain things in some of my circumstances, I would not have been able, I don't think I would have been able to see the hand of the Lord moving in it. So now I knew it. Now I was able to see it. And now when I was seeing it, that helped me because I could say, okay, now I can cooperate with the Lord in it. You see? It's a great advantage. That's why we teach these things. Not because we want to have everybody living on cloud 10 you know, and, and walking around up there and not functioning as human beings. No, it's to show you the principle so that whenever you get in, in something out there, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord can draw on that and bring certain things back to your remembrance that will help you in a circumstance. That's what it's about. That's why the teachings, that's why. That's why we talk about the ways of God. That's why you know, we look at certain things in the epistles and in, in, in the Gospels. Because it's important to learn certain things and certain principles. Not so that you're, you know, everything is ooh, up in the sky. What's going on? No, so that when you're walking as a Christian out of church, you have a frame of reference where the Lord now can take that and teach you what's going on in your life. Verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you. This is the Lord saying uh, to Moses. And Aaron, your brother, shall, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And re remember that at the command of Moses, every plague will come and every plague will go at his command. So he, he, he pronounces something and it happens. And then Mo you'll see um, Pharaoh will send for Moses and Moses will come back. And then at his word, he pronounces in the evening, this will change, and it changes. 
And I believe this goes back to the Lord revealing to him being revealing to him as, as one being Jehovah, this personal God thing. That's his personal name or personal relationship, personal character. Now we talked, was it last week or the week before we talked about Moses' credentials? Is that a couple weeks ago? Do you remember? Remember his credentials? We talked about Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah was taken, his mantle fell. Elisha didn't go to school. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't, you know, had nothing like that. But he had the Spirit of God, and he walked in a way. He kept his eyes on Elijah. And when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, his mantle, his cloak fell. And, and there's other things that happened in Eli, Elijah, Elisha's life uh, with the yoke of oxen and so on. So he goes over and he takes the mantle and he goes over to the Jordan and he's showing his diploma from the Bible school, so to speak. That's his credentials. And he takes it and he hits the water. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters are, are separated. So man's idea of credentials are going to school. Nothing wrong with that. Going for a doctor, nothing wrong with that. Going to a, a theological seminary, there can be nothing wrong with that. Study is a good thing. But study in and of itself, or the lack of study, does not mean a person has credentials from God. Credentials from the Lord are quite different. There's a lot of people that graduate a Bible college or a seminary and come out no better than when they came in. And they come out with a degree or whatever, something written on paper, but that does not mean that they can take the cloak and part the waters. It doesn't mean the Spirit of God is upon them to move in a certain thing. So it can just be a religious thing, if you, you understand what I'm saying. So Moses' credentials will be seen by Pharaoh. I'm going to take this rod. Okay, Aaron, throw your rod down. That's my credentials. It turns to a serpent. Take the rod and touch the water. They turn to blood. That's his credentials. Not because Moses went to some school, which can be good, as Paul did. But in this setting, he spent 40 years in the desert, the Midian desert. And the credentials that he had were from that time, this relationship thing. So now his credentials, so to speak, are going to be seen when he, he does certain things. So what was God's purpose in dealing with Pharaoh in the plagues? Just two scriptures real quick. In chapter 5, verse 2, a couple things being seen, being seen here. Verse 2, And Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let the Israelites go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. In chapter 7, verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So this is one of the purposes here uh, of the dealings with the plague. So that they would know that there is a God, a true God, 
And that God is the God of the Israelites. He's the one that Moses is proclaiming, that Aaron is proclaiming to them. He's going to make that clear. Even though they're not going to believe per se, as far as relationship, they will believe and know that he is a true God. And you even see that in the scriptures. Um, I don't remember which one it was. Uh, was it the lice? I think it was the lice. Now, we'll, we'll be looking at that in a little bit. Where the, um, the magicians say to Pharaoh, now they're testifying for the Lord. They said, this is the finger of God. That's what they said. And they didn't mean the gods of Egypt. Not like Ra and some of the other gods. No, they, they were meaning the God of the Israelites. This is the finger of God. So in, this is from verse 8 through 13. These signs here were given to um, Pharaoh, and they would be an opportunity for him to come under you know, the Lord. But, of course, we know he, he did not. But that's beside the point. The Lord still gives opportunity, just like he does today with people. He gives them opportunity, you know, to come to the Lord. And many, many times when the Lord does this, even, even now with mankind, he gives them opportunity, here, it's opportunity, and over here, he's doing something else. He's amassing evidence against them. So that the opportunities here are they going to respond and take advantage of the opportunity? That's not, that's not the, you know, the Lord. I mean, he's giving the opportunity. It's up to them. So if, if they respond, of course, then that, that's great. That's what he wants. But if they don't, he's amassing, amassing evidence there for, for them or toward them. So in verse 10, let's start at verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh... And they did so, just as the Lord commanded. So they're not just going in and they're going to wing it. Well, we'll just go in and see what happens. No, they're going in and they're doing what the Lord says and what the Lord showed them and what the Lord has taught them. And that's what they're going to do. They're not going to do what they think. They're going to do what the Lord shows them. So he said, went into Pharaoh and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. So this is given to Pharaoh as a sign. What gives Moses confidence that whenever he throws down or Aaron throws down the rod and it turns to a serpent in front of him, what gives him confidence standing there near that serpent? You know, serpents bite, don't they? What gives him confidence is his obedience. Being obedient just you do it, you can have confidence. You have confidence in God when you're obedient. And it's there, but it's not going to hurt him. He's doing what he needs to do. Now in verse 11, But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. So he calls them to find out whether this is really a work of divine power or merely a magical thing, a magician's thing. 
And I, I wanted to, to read this. Uh, this is a paragraph long. This is dealing with the art of snake charming. I actually looked this up because it does exist. You know that, right? And, of course, we know that in some of the Middle East countries, they have the cobras in the baskets. But it, back then, it went much further than that. But let me read this. The magicians of Egypt in modern times have long been celebrated adept in charming serpents, and particularly by pressing the nap of the neck, they throw them into a kind of trance-like state. And this is what I, what I, what I found, and I don't, I don't know anything about it, but I'm reading. Which renders the serpent stiff and immovable, thus seeming to change them into a rod. And this is what some people that, that were into the art of, of uh, snake charming would do. They would conceal the serpent about their persons and by acts of illusion produce it from their dress, from their cloak or whatever, and straight as a rod. Or probably they evoked, this is the second thing. So this, this is something, I, I mean, this is what I, what I found that they, they did something with the nap of the, the head of the serpent would, would make it stiff, maybe some muscle or nerve, I don't know. And then they would, they would be able to conceal them and throw them down like a stiff rod, then it would, it would turn into like a serpent. So you have two things here. It's either one or the other. Either that's what the magicians of, of Egypt did, or the second one, which is, I lean more toward the second one myself, they evoked some demonic spirits, some familiar spirits or whatever, to actually do certain things. And if you go to 2 Thessalonians, I'll just read it. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. Even him, this is speaking of, of the Antichrist, I believe, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan... With all power, power is the word Greek word dunamis. It means power. It means, it's very broad. It's used in various contexts. But in this context, in Thessalonians, it's dealing with performing power to perform miracles. So that with it says the working of Satan, they would be coming. He would come after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And the NIV says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. So the uh, phrase here, which I did not look up in the Hebrew, but it says here in verse 11 in my translation that they did it in like manner. So the magicians, what they did was in like manner to what Moses and Aaron did with the serpent. So here, you know, Pharaoh in his hard heart and a lot of the people in his court, maybe leaders or whoever, they're watching the rod of, of Aaron or Moses laid down, turning to a serpent. And now they're seeing some of the magicians come in and doing the same, doing something very similar may not have been, it wasn't the same, I don't believe it, it was something similar enough to plant doubt in the people that are there. So, oh yeah, look, at these, this is like a trick, you know, look, at they can do the same thing. But what shows 
and should have spoken to them was when Moses' rod, the serpent, swallowed up the other ones. And then it became a rod, an actual rod again. But see, if, if a person doesn't want to believe something and a person doesn't want to see something, you know, a miracle is not going to change that. Jesus said that. You know, he, sh- he showed the people all these miracles. And they still were, a lot of them were in unbelief. The Jewish uh, leaders, the religious leaders, they were in total unbelief. Even seeing a man who they knew was paralyzed from birth. Maybe, you know, they passed him for 25 years. They knew the man. Some of them knew the man. They even took brought his parents and said, is this him who was, who was you know, paralyzed? From birth? Yeah, that's him. That's my son. Well, but how, how's he walking? They asked all these questions. They saw it, and they, they saw miracle after miracle, and yet they did not believe. So miracles alone will not make a person believe. See, it's based upon the heart condition. If someone's heart is hard, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, God will still maybe display that in front of them. But as far as there being a change in the person's heart, a miracle is not necessarily going to do it. You know, some people will say, you know, if I see, I'll believe. No, you won't. Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see and believe. So this should have spoke to them when this happened, but it, it did not. So now let's move down to verse 17. Now what I'm going to do, I'm not going to have time. We'll begin next week and we'll go through the 10 plagues next week. And it'll take the whole class because I want to read the, the whole sets of scriptures related to them. But in, in verse 17 is where the river turns to blood. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with a rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned into blood. Now in verse 22, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So I, I was thinking about this. I don't know how, how this actually occurred, um, but whenever they took the rod and they struck the river, and the river became blood. And I, I believe that, verse 19, all their pools of water all became blood. So what was there that the magicians had to do the same thing? Now, I, I did look at this, and, and this is true even today. If, if there's a polluted, maybe a stream that's polluted, do you know how to get drinking water out of that? Do you know how to get drinking water out of that? What they do is they, they move back from, I know Colette does, you move back from the water where there's sand in that, and you dig down in there, and the, the, um, the sand has a filtering uh, effect and can, can remove a lot of the, the bacteria. So you probably would still have to treat it in some way. But that's probably what they did, and I believe it says that in the scripture here somewhere. I'm not sure, but I think that they dug down. I'm almost positive. They dug down near the river, away from the main part of the river, and they were able to get some water. So it's, it's probably what 
the magicians did, they had that water that they got that wasn't turned to blood, and they did, they did some, some similar thing to that. Because if all the water was blood, then how could the magicians do the same thing? So it had, there had to be some source there that they, that they had that they were able to get some type of water from that wasn't turned to blood. And, and by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean blood is like blood in your veins. It may, may mean blood as far as like the color, you know, some type of, uh, what did I read? There was one thing where they said that um, the water became polluted. There's a certain time of the season where the Nile gets higher and it brings all types of brown, reddish, clay type soil, silt from Ethiopia maybe. And the water gets like that. Uh, and then it says here in, in the Bible that the fish died. So there could have been when they struck the water, they turned to blood or you know, some, something that, they, that, that happened, the Lord did, and caused uh, maybe some type of parasite that killed the fish. You know, you know, we don't know. But anyway, it seems to me that in the early stages here of the different plagues, that the magicians or the sorcerers, just like we see in 1 Kings 18, I believe it is, 17, 18, where the sorcerers did certain things, and even today some call upon Satan, the powers of darkness, you know, to do certain things. And as it says in, in Thessalonians and in other places where there will be an increase or where, where there are those who call upon the powers of darkness to do miracles or, or whatever. So I think it's quite possible that these magicians and sorcerers were calling upon a satanic force to help them to do what they did. And it says, let me read some verses. When, when, we, were, when we were in the world, we're going to read this in a minute, when we were in the world, we were under the power of the world when we were worldly, when we weren't believers. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know who the prince of the power of the air is, right? Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So the, power, the prince of the power of the air will give a spirit to those who are the most receptive and probably those who give themselves more to that will have more of that power given to them to do certain things. Colossians, two scriptures in chapter one, one scripture in chapter one and one and two. You don't have to turn there. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's what Paul tells them, you know, when you came to the Lord, when there was a response in your heart to him, we were delivered from the power of darkness and we have been translated. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now we're still physically walking in this earth. So that means that something has transpired in the spiritual realm. We have been translated into a kingdom, a different kingdom. And that's how we're able to understand 
That is how we're able to relate to certain things in the spirit realm because we've been translated to a different place, to the kingdom of God. And then he says in chapter 2, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, and he has given in his name that authority to his children, and we can also spoil principalities and powers. So I believe that that's what is at work here in the magician, the magicians. Okay, now, whenever the Lord has Aaron and Moses go in, and in particular dealing with the Nile River, God is going to attack two things here. One, the Nile River, which the Egyptians believed was the power of life. The power of life came from the river to the Egyptian culture. That's what they believed. It didn't come from the God of Israel, the God of the Jews. They believe it came from the Nile. That's why the Lord, I believe, wanted to to touch that and, and do something with that because that's what they believed, first of all. Secondly, a lot of the Egyptian religion their system was tied to the Nile. And a lot of the ancient monuments and their sacred temples were close to the shores of the Nile River. Not, not a long distance, in other words. And the Lord wants to, to pronounce something there related to the Nile and their whole religious system. So it's just not a deliverance of the Israelites. I mean, that's true. That's the main thing. But when the Lord does certain things, he's doing it for other reasons that sometimes we don't even know and see. So this here now is like a dual thing. He's going to, to deliver the people out, but he's going to smite or lay his hand upon the religious system of, of Egypt. And I, I read this, that scholars believe, or they generally agree, that the nine plagues, that the first nine plagues, were to some degree regular occurrences in Egypt. Not to the intensity that we're going to see them, and not pronounced right then. But they were all, certain things happened. For example, the swelling of the Nile. When that would happen, there would be a lot of frogs. But the frogs would stay down to the river, which is not going to happen when, when they pronounce and it's probably when Moses pronounces the plagues, they are, I don't believe, are running in the same time frame as the natural occurrence. You understand? God's going to change that. If it was, they could say, well, this always happens. It happens in the Nile. You know, we get these frogs and, you know, so on. And so on. Uh, certain, certain types of, um, for example, the flax is in its flower in the end of January. So the Lord's, the Lord's going to do something different. And when he does these things, even though some of them were occurrences that have happened at certain times of the year there in Egypt, this is going to be totally different. It's going to be much more pronounced. And it's going to be a pronouncement to happen and the lifting of that judgment at uh, the command of Moses when we're chosen not when the season changes, okay? So next week we'll, we'll begin with the plagues, okay, and we'll stop there.